morning has resonated with me. Um, I certainly echo the gratitude to God for uh, Mackenzie's preservation, uh, as so often happens in our lives, to see her with us is an amazing intersection of amazing grace and amazing health care, uh, amazing first response, and all those who were able to come alongside her and nurture her toward health. Uh, that resonates with me. Uh, Mackenzie and I, when we were talking about this, she said, I really don't want to have to navigate up and down the stairs. Um, I'll try and be as inconspicuous and out of the way as possible. And I said, just the opposite. Please get right here behind me, uh, both for the live stream folks and for you. That sense of loneliness up here in the chancel sometimes can be pretty overpowering in the summertime. So welcome uh, to the party. And if I say anything wrong or that you just have an idea, just speak it out. In some ways, the best lessons we learn are those uh, that have no words. And as Mackenzie makes her way toward health and wholeness, hopefully it is a vision for all of us in those places where we need healing and help and hope. Uh, I'd be lying if I said becoming a Christian relieved us of any more need for that kind of healing touch. It seems like every day, more is revealed to us that needs to be uh, worked over, uh, rethought, reasserted, recommitted. No matter where you are on the spectrum of your life as a follower of Jesus, you're never finished learning. It's back to school Sunday, and that, of course, is the theme for the day, and you all have so capably kind of drawn us to that place of remembering and I'm aware, even looking out now uh, um, among the congregation, there are some faces that I saw on social media uh, with, with all the bittersweet emotions on their faces and in the photographs releasing their children to college. Some for the first time, some giving them back to that awfully dangerous-seeming place. In just another week or so, those that have not already started in year-round school are going to be posting their pictures on social media. It seems to be very popular right now. They hold up the picture, first day of eighth grade, last day of eighth grade, holding up, uh, you know, for us, it is the first year in 10 that we will not have an elementary schooler at Southwest Elementary. And that has its own mixed feelings. Uh, whatever comes to mind in back to school, we know it is that mixture of anticipation and hopefulness and joy and pride and trepidation and fear and concern because we know that no matter what comes, it will be hard. School is hard because life is hard. And I was reminded of this on Friday as I got word over at Rogers, her middle school, of the death of a seventh grade student in that student body. And they were informing parents and, and those around us uh, of that loss. Life is hard. Uh, and as I texted back and forth with the social worker over there, just expressing the care of this church and of course offering our, whatever we have to offer that might help, um, to be sure to let us know. She simply appreciated being seen and known and heard because her job was no longer reading, writing arithmetic or any of that, but was digging into the very deepest parts of life. Back to school. That's where we are today, in a sense, in the beginning. 
Jesus first calling his disciples, but calling them not to a moment in time, but to a lifelong journey with him. So if you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, we'll hear these words again and apply our lives to them. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, called Peter, and his brother, Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. May God bless the reading and the hearing of these words today. Being invited on a new adventure. Being invited on a new journey. Come follow me, says Jesus. And and literally what the text says, I will make you fishers of people. King James got it right. I will send you out to fish for people is part of the message. But that's not what what it says. I will make you fishers of people. I'm going to reach down into your identity and I'm going to fiddle with it. I'm going to reach into your mind, into your heart, into your actions, and I'm going to adapt them. In fact, I intend to transform them. And what you thought you would be doing with your life and your time and your days are now subject to my creative power, my creative influence, my transforming love. Anytime we enter into a classroom, we're in some way submitting ourselves to that process of formation and transformation. I remember when I first started going to seminary at Duke, and some of my friends had been filled with sort of this anxious, uh, this anxious advice from their home church or maybe some Christian folks back home. And they'd say things like, don't let that place change you. And I'll be the first to, to say, I mean, sometimes seminarians, particularly early on, become kind of paralyzing in, in how much they want to tell you that they have now learned, you know, so they can paralyze a perfectly good conversation by, you know, reciting something in Greek or, or some obscure quote from a theologian. But deep down, I, I always resisted that thought. Don't let that place change you. Why? It's way too expensive to pay this much money and to show up and invest this much time into a place that you won't allow to change you, to have an influence on you. And I knew it would be a powerful experience for me in that particular classroom when in my first semester of my first year, I got the book buying list, and I also knew it would be very expensive because every, every class had so many books to buy. But then in my introduction to Old Testament class, Jack Levison had about six books that we needed to buy, and then we had to buy a lump of modeling clay, which I thought was interesting. And the very first day when we showed up and he distributed the syllabus, the very first lecture wasn't a lecture at all. Instead, he invited us to clear out all the desks. We all got on our hands and knees. We were given a little piece of cardboard, and we had to pull out the Bible atlas 
that we had purchased. He said, open up to the atlas with the ancient Israel, but it's got to be the topographical map so that you can see height and depth of the land. He said, now I want you to read the map and I want you to create a three-dimensional clay model of the Holy Land. And as we're down there on our hands and knees, you know, fingernails becoming dirty with all of the clay, he played um, some modern contemporary Jewish praise music. You think we're the only ones, uh, but they, they, there's contemporary Jewish praise music as well. So he's playing that in the background. So we hear all this Hebrew and it's got a pulse. And, and as we begin to work the clay, he said, you cannot understand a single word, a single story, a single bit of what it is we are going to read here today until you understand the land. So there was a lesson at the end of it. I also think he wanted us at least to be able to glimpse a picture of what Genesis paints in the creation of humans at all, which is sort of this poetic picture of God on God's hands and knees hands in the dirt, creating a little human figurine, and then furiously blowing life into it with the very breath of God. He wanted us to have a sense of the embodied quality of everything that we learn. I'll never forget it. And I'll never forget that lesson to go back to the map. So that when you read, they went up to Jerusalem, you realize Jerusalem is up on a mountain. That matters. You probably have your own memorable teachers. You probably have those curricula that really had an impact on you. And that word, curriculum, is one of the words I want us to hold on to today. It's not the biblical word. We'll get to that in a minute. But it is an important word for us today. As we go back to school, as we consider going to school now with Jesus, following him as a student, as a pupil, as a disciple. We need to understand the curriculum. I've, there's sort of a before and after experience for me after reading a book by a theologian named Maria Harris. It's called Fashion Me a People. And in it, she unpacked what she called the curriculum of the church. And for you educators, you already know this stuff. Uh, but the word curriculum is something that's derived from a Latin word which means to run. Uh, the noun version means a race course. It's the same Latin root from which you get the word current. So if you can imagine life in a church as having a river that runs through it, and the current that carries one through the life of a church touches on key landmarks, key turns, key places, and the longer that current runs, the deeper those channels go and sort of create and transform over a long period of time a different landscape entirely. So she, in this book, sort of unpacks what she believes are the, the primary features of the curriculum of the church. Do you want to know what they are? Um, the proclamation of the church, the teaching of the church, the public service, the public work, and the worship of the church, the participation and submission to a communal life in the church and the service of the church. Those are the five things that, that she identifies. And even more, she says our curriculum has three facets to it. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I do want to name them. One is the one we all know, and that is what she calls, uh, and what other educators call, the explicit curriculum. 
That is what we actually teach, what you'll find on the brochure or on the website. This is who we are, this is what we're about, this is what we do. That's the explicit curriculum, but that's not the only thing a church teaches in its life together. There's also an implicit curriculum. That is, the the practices and the places that in some way reinforce the explicit curriculum, like, say, a church budget. As a pastor, sometimes when I was being invited to consider another church, one of the things I'd always do is say, let me see a copy of your budget. Because you always know where the church's priorities are in black and white when you read the budget. And that was also because I had come from a church that said we don't have enough money to give the ministers any pay raises, but we are going to increase our allocation for the grounds maintenance. That sends a message. We can't afford this, but we will afford this. That's the implicit curriculum. Sometimes the implicit curriculum pushes against the explicit curriculum. I'm thinking now about my life um, in Orange County Correctional Center, for instance. Every time I've gone over there, of course, explicitly, it is a locked down, highly secure facility. Rules everywhere. You know where to go. You have to ask to go to the bathroom. It's a very regimented existence. But then to spend time in Bible study and worship with the men who choose to come out of that place to a place where they can experience the freedom that comes from the Holy Spirit. And instead of living into all the rules that keep them separate, segregated, and somehow set apart and at odds with the correctional officers and with one another, there they can share real connection, community, and brotherhood. They welcome strangers as friends. They encourage those who are about to make their way out and with real vulnerability and humility push against the explicit curriculum. Sometimes that happens too. It's something that will never be written down. It's just the rules of the church. And that's how they live. There is, of course, a null curriculum in church life as well. And that's the stuff we never talk about. That teaches too. If we never talk about things, for whatever reason, it sends a message, either that this is not important or that a fear-based life is better than an earnest, honest, difficult conversation. Or the things that we never do. I had invited Mackenzie in some ways to be a prop for us. And I mean, I did a little bit today. I said, as much as you would submit to allowing your healing to be something of a parable for us, Stay on the crutches a little longer. If you want to, be in a wheelchair up here. Why? Why? Because I want each and every person who participates in worship to see a little bit of themselves in the leadership here. And whatever difference in ability you may believe that you have is not a barrier to proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. If you're in a wheelchair, so be it. If the Spirit is on you, with you, and you have a testimony to offer, we need to hear it. And the burden is on the church to make the accommodations. It's not on the believer to accommodate the church's preferences. And so, Mackenzie, you are my prop for the day. So take a good look. Don't look for excuses to stand between this place, this sacred place of proclamation in your own perceived abilities. 
that's what the curriculum of the church is about, says Harris. And she's, I think she's right. If we listen to this story today, I want us to think in our lives as disciples, how would Jesus characterize the curriculum of our discipleship? I think it hinges on that word that I tried to bring out and away from the translation in the NIV that I read, which is that word make. I will make you fishers of people. Sounds like an ordinary word, but of course in English it has a lot of different meanings to make. Sometimes it means to compel or to force or to bully or in some way kind of cram someone into a situation they don't want to be. That's not the sense of this word at all. When Jesus says, I will make you fishers of people, it's the same word that when Jews translated the Hebrew text of Genesis into Greek in what's called the Septuagint, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. I will create, I will fashion, I will make. In fact, that Greek word is so interesting because it's the same word that we draw the word poet and poetry from. And what is a poet? Someone who creates a world, who tells a story in these beautiful ways with nothing but words. That's the creative power at work in this life with Jesus. I will make you into something you are not already. One time on a youth retreat years ago, when I was a college student, I was a volunteer helping out with the youth. One of the older adults, uh, however you said it, uh, if you're too old to be on the retreat, you can be a chaperone, right? Uh, One of the even older adults was an attorney, Monday to Friday, but then on weekends he volunteered with the youth and he loved to whittle in his free time. So we had all this time on the retreat. He was going to teach me how to whittle. And so he's like, pretty much what you need is a glove, Um, And I learned the hard way, not having a glove, just how bad the blisters can be. You need a really sharp knife, and you need a block of wood. And he he had me look at the wood for a long time. He said, now, just just pull away everything that doesn't look like the head of a duck. That's how you do it. And in a sense, it's the same sort of transformative process that Jesus is implying here. Follow me. And in this process of of abiding within the curriculum that I put before you, you will be changed. And bit by bit, you're going to be fashioned into someone who looks, talks, thinks, and feels with my own life. What a vision. What a capacity. And everything you thought you were about is now in the hands of God to be used in ways you never could have dreamed about yourself. And so it's a lifelong process. If we were to look for the curriculum, I think we'd find it in Matthew 22. Just a little ways further, when Jesus is asked by an expert in the law, teacher, which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus replied, love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these commandments. 
We have a vision statement at Yates to be a growing community alive with Christ, energized to share God's transforming love. And the purpose of that vision statement is to begin to imagine every space we enter as a church is going to be somehow formed by that powerful vision. Can you imagine going to a finance committee meeting? And people say, it's time to grow. I don't know whether we're going to grow in numbers, whether we're going to grow in humility, whether we're going to grow deeper or wider or taller or what, but we're ready to grow because we're joining ourselves with the living Christ, charged up, ready to share the love that changes everything. Or choir rehearsal, or morning worship, or a small group that meets out and about, or in Sunday school on Sunday mornings, wherever it may be, will that vision be the shape of our time together but that's not quite the same as the curriculum the curriculum begins where that vision ends literally with the word love and it becomes our journey with jesus to unpack how love will take shape in our life individually and in our life together to love the lord your god with all your heart so that with undivided affection, you learn to devote yourself to the presence of and the call of Jesus on your life. To learn how to devote your soul. That is, that, that God-given breath of life within you. It's just constantly wandering, looking for that connection that it misses and it only finds it in God's own presence. God with your mind. How to love God with your mind. To be fearless in asking and learning. And to become an educated Christian. Of course, it's not going to be enough to know all the books in the Bible. I, Mackenzie, I doubt you would have been impressed if you went in for surgery, right? And your, and your orthopedic surgeon said, you know what? I know the names of all of the bones in the body. I even know where to find the tibia. You know, that's, that's anti. You have to know these things in order to do the work. Our Christian education of the mind is just but a part of the way we love God. It is indispensable and it is not enough. But as we holistically begin to learn to express that love with all the facets of our being, heart, soul, mind, it finds expression out there in the world in loving our neighbors. And maybe over the course of our lives, we understand what it means to be a Christian at all. There's a story that's told about a, a, a man who came to Maya Angelou one time and said, and somehow in the course of the conversation, told her that, that he was a Christian. And she said, a Christian? Already? Impressive. Maybe we all have work to do. But in the coming year, starting in September, let's just tag it to the school year, I have got special focus on the discipleship areas of our church life. I'm talking about Sunday school, talking about small groups, I'm talking about in large ways and small ways, how we might continue to live into this curriculum to love with our whole selves. 
so that whether you have been on this journey with Jesus for decades or you have yet to make that first step, there is a place for you to get traction and begin to grow from, from newborns to your very last breath. It's important to me. I hope you will join me as we consider every facet of our church life through the lens of our discipleship. Holding up the curriculum of Jesus and asking, are we living into it as fully as we can? But it's really not joining me. It is, of course, joining Jesus. Because all the way at the end of Matthew, he's given us homework. This class does have homework. I won't be alone in this. You won't be alone in this. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, you, y'all, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Our discipleship is not for ourselves, but is instead the way in which God in Christ continues to call people to follow after him. And if you have heard his voice as we leave this place today and every day in the months and in the year to come, imitate it out in the world. Amen.